Okay, so so about these dresses, right, for Cinderella's closet. I know, and, and suggest is too nice, she's a woman to say these things, but look, I know you were like a bridesmaid at some wedding sometime or went to some special thing and you starved yourself for like three months to fit into that thing. Like, one day I'm going to wear it again. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. So just, so just donate it to these poor girls who want to go to prom. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, thus says the Lord, give up the ghost, you will not be high school size ever again. As soon as you graduate, it's like, oh, here's your diploma and 20 pounds. It's, it's, it's like, it's like when they, like when Jessa says the thing about the, the newcomer party, the, you know, the, the, the connect party, it, it is like, it's like, hey, come to that. She says, it's a ton of fun, literally, because it's all desserts and you, we weigh a ton more cumulatively when we walk out the door than when we came in. It's a ton of fun. So, see, so go to, go to that party and then be like, I'm going to give all my dresses away now because I don't fit in anything. Not that I own dresses. That sounded really awkward. All right, so. Today, uh, if you consider Element in your home, today we are having this business meeting. And once a year we have these, and so we invite you to come. It's at 5 o'clock. If you want to come early at 4, we will be serving you dinner as well. And now it's not going to be like all tables and stuff. It's going to be like baptism. So if it's nice outside, bring your lawn chair, hang out, talk to people, because it's just like you in front of the football game. It's like, oh, there's the football game, and I'm going to eat here. That's, that's how you're going to eat. No tables. Just do it like that. You're used to it anyway. We've seen you. So... You'll be okay. Uh, but 4 o'clock dinner, 5 o'clock, me- the meeting's going to be short. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, the purchase of the field, different things going on around here, and you will be able to ask any questions that you might have as well. Okay? So that's, that's what that is. So now that I have said all the offensive stuff, I'll now start for the video. Welcome to Element. <laughs> My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are new and don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are also sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. You can also download an app on your smartphone called YouVersion. It looks like a little Bible with a bookmark. It says Holy Bible. And you'll get the sermon notes and the verses. If you click on Live in there, it'll bring us up by GPS. Now, I need to explain the sermon notes to you a little bit because some people sometimes have questions. The sermon notes are not fill in the blank. They're not just the things I'm talking about. Typically what I do with the sermon notes is these are all the extraneous other things that I have that I couldn't fit into my message. And so this is like, you know, different commentary things, different Bible dictionary stuff that, you know, stuff that I think goes along with it, but I couldn't really fit into the, the text and the bulk of the message. So it's extra stuff and it's not really even stuff that, that I wrote. I kind of maybe wrote a couple things so it flows better, but you know, this is all just, You'll be smarter if you read the notes. Okay? That, that's how it works. That's, that, that's why we give them to you. And so it's not just something that's throwaway. We actually put some time and effort into these. So if you have that, read them. You'll be happy you did. There you go. Why don't you stand up and you're reading God's Word? This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would be those who understand your blessing, your goodness, your kindness extended to us. And we would in turn live out that blessing that we have first received. That the gospel that has come to us so strongly in the person of your son be lived out in how we gospel other people. How we live our lives so you are lifted up in all things knowing that you have first sought and loved us. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so this is our new series on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Uh, some people have actually accused me of doing another topical series. This is not a topical series. We are going through three chapters of the book of Matthew. Three chapters. Originally, it was going to be about 24 weeks. Now it's 47, because that's how things work around here. Uh, this is one of the longest, most densely packed sections of Jesus' teaching ever recorded. And my notes actually say it'll take us into summer. It's actually going to take us all the way into Christmas this year. Be like, oh, so when we're done, it'll be Christmas. Merry Christmas. See, there you go. Lucky, lucky you. So uh, buckle in for the ride. I think it's, I think it's going to be good. And as we start the Sermon on the Mount, we have to deal with the word that the Sermon on the Mount starts with. It's used a lot by Christians. It's used a lot by, in our culture, with someone blesses. You know, they say sneeze and they say bless you and all that kind of stuff. Christian slang, this whole word blessed. And I, I think it's really weird that in, in our culture today, we, we say bless you to someone who sneezes. And so I tried to figure out where that came from and researched a whole bunch of stuff. You know, almost every culture in the world has done that. The Romans would say, Jupiter, preserve you when you when you sneezed. The Greeks would wish each other a long life. Uh, the phrase, God bless you, that we know it, is attributed to Pope Gregory the Great. In the 6th century, he used it of people when they had the bubonic plague. Because a sneeze would be the first symptom you had the plague. A chew, oh, you got it, don't get it on me, bless you. That kind of thing. And now I'm kind of neurotic, so I think, I'm going to have the plague. Every time I sneeze, I got the plague. Oh no, I, I got that, that's horrible. Germans would use Gesundheit, which means health. The idea is that, again, the sneeze precedes some type of illness. Again, virtually every country and every society in the world has their way of wishing sneezers well. Uh, in Arabic countries, they use a phrase that means praise be to God. I don't want to say it because I'll probably butcher it, but it should mean like good out instead. You know, Hindus say live or live well. In Russia, children are given the phrase bud zarab, which means be healthy. When a child sneezes in China, they use a phrase that means may you live a hundred years. And a lot of scholars believe the various sneeze things all came about because of different superstitions that people had. Like they believed if you sneezed really hard, you could expel your spirit out of your body and a demon would grab a hold of it. And so you'd say, bless you, and you'd be like, oh, I can't hold on to that one. Back in it would go. Some people believe the opposite, that when you sneezed, it allowed the devil to get inside of you. So they say, oh, bless you, the devil would be like, oh, I can't hang out. Someone said, bless you, and it's all like superstition and, and weird, weird kind of stuff. Some people even still think that when you sneeze, your heart stops for a second. It doesn't. That's a lie. But when they say, bless you, you're welcoming them back to life. Achoo! Welcome back. <laughs> how wonderful. Now, that is not how the Sermon on the Mount or the Scriptures use the word bless. It's not how Jesus used it. And so hopefully by the end of this message today, you will get it. And you will walk out of here understanding the word bless so much more. Because the first and second thing that Jesus says is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. It's not because it's necessarily good to be poor in spirit or good to mourn. What Jesus is saying is that life in God's kingdom is available to everybody. And so you are blessed. That's what he's saying. Now, there are, there are prayers that people go in, in, in Jewish lives that they would wish people well all the time. Rivka Danzig, she teaches graduate students at Penn State University. She's Jewish. And she says, everything we do is preceded by and often ended by prayers. And these are prayers of thanksgiving. So if you hear thunder and see lightning, you would pray, blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, for his strength and his power fill the world. That's what they would pray. And she says, isn't it better to say that with a fearful child than tell him that God is bullying? Right? 
It's so much better to say something like that. And so in Jesus' day, you had devout Jewish people, and they would begin and end every single day in prayer. And the main thing they'd pray would be this prayer. It's called the Amidah. Amidah. This is still true in Judaism today. Amidah is a Hebrew word. It meant standing, so it's like the standing prayer. So you'd say it while you were standing. Uh, It's also called the 18 or 18 blessings. And observant Jews at this time would recite the Amidah at each of their prayer services in the morning, afternoon, and evening. And they idea behind it, it's a way to remember all the ways that God has blessed our lives. And so we bless God in return. It's not a legalism thing. It's simply a thing to remind us to bless God for all of his goodness. Rabbis taught that this was so important that nothing was supposed to stop you from praying this blessing. Uh, There's a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. And they talk about this. They said, if a king were to give one a greeting, you should not stop praying the Amidah to return the greeting. So if you're praying it, you don't stop. The king's all, hello. And you're like, He's like, off with your head. That kind of thing. If, a, if you're praying and a snake curls around your feet, you're not supposed to stop praying the Amidah. Maybe you'd add like 19 to it and be like, dear God, kill the snake, you know, or something like that, but you weren't supposed to stop praying. You weren't supposed to again sit down. That's why it's called the standing prayer, because if you sit down, you might fall asleep, and that's not good. Rabbis also said you're not allowed to say it if you're riding on a donkey, because you'd be up too high. It may make you not be very humble. So you have to get off the donkey, get down on the earth where God made us, and say it because it's a place of humbleness. So you don't do it on a donkey. It's a very, very high priority. They said we have to learn to bless God who has blessed us so richly. In our culture today, if we like that would say a prayer over and over and over, like the Lord's Prayer also in the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes you start to do it in a way that you forget what you're even talking about. Anybody here ever started to pray and your mind just starts to wander? Dear God, peace on earth, I really want some french fries. Like that? Right? The, the Amidah was so important that if you were saying this in front of people and you were praying this prayer out and you made a mistake, they would actually stop you, pull you off, put somebody else in your place, and they would finish the prayer where you messed up. No pressure, right? No pressure at all. That, that's it. It's, it's kind of though this catechism was to teach people ways to honor God. So they were given these words to pray. For food, they would not pray, God bless this food. They would say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, for you nourish us and the whole world with goodness, grace, kindness, and mercy. Blessed are you, Lord, for you nourish the universe. Now, why do they do that? Because if you start with an understanding that the world is blessed first by God, it will change how you live every part of your life. It changes your attitude about everything. So in the scriptures, there's this theme of understanding our blessing, so we become grateful people, so we rejoice. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So at the outset, we need to start at this word blessed, because this is where Jesus starts. And I think what he's trying to do is get people to understand the better idea of gratitude towards God. You can go on the internet today and and type in train for gratitude. And there's all kinds of crazy things out here that will train you for gratitude. When we talk about learning gratitude, it's a way that centers on the gospel before everything else. Because if you have a proper understanding of the gospel that we were lost and Jesus came for us because we had broken relationship with God and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead, that whole understanding will make us a grateful people. Because we realize what God has done for us. 
And if you grab some notes for the Sermon on the Mount, I would invite you sometime during this message, if your mind wanders, you know, if you start to think about something else, that you would think about things you are grateful of. Maybe just write those down. And maybe if you go out to lunch today or, or visit with your GC this week or go out to lunch with somebody else or come back for the business meeting today and you sit around and have nothing to talk about, maybe you can start talking about the things that you are thankful for, the things you are grateful for, because we're supposed to have our minds center around those things. Because once we begin to understand that we are first blessed, we will begin to bless other people naturally. Now, the rabbis had all kinds of rules about who was eligible even to say blessings in front of other people. Like if you were at a meal and you ate less than the volume of one olive, you are not allowed to say the blessing because they didn't think you got enough. So supermodels never said the blessing. They, they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. They wanted people who had something to be grateful for. So if you're like, oh, I love food. Man, boom, say the blessing. It's like, ah, this pizza is such Jesus. Pizza, you know. And for us, when you take this idea of the gospel, our understanding of Jesus coming, dying, raising from the dead, essential for gratitude. And Jewish people, they would have different ways and different words of blessing depending on how many people were there. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. I'll show you something really interesting about Mark chapter 6. So you'd have different blessings if there were 10 or 100 or 1,000 people, all these different things. They'd be worded differently so everybody could be part of that blessing. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people when he was teaching. This is what the text says, Mark 6.39. It says, Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And then Jesus says, The blessing, verse 44, And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's your details. How in the world do we know it was 5,000 men? Because they would separate the men in groups of fifties and hundreds. And the men were eligible to say this blessing. The women and children would join them. But they knew there were 5,000 men because of how they were separated to pray the Amidah, to pray the blessing, to be thankful because a rabbi had just fed you. And now you are thankful for God for taking care of you. But this idea of blessing goes not just for good things. It goes for the perceived bad things in our lives as well. In Romans 15, 29, Paul says to the church at Rome, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. This is a church that is persecuted. There's horrible stuff going on. At this point, it's it's made up mostly of slaves. And Paul says, I'm going to come in the blessing of Christ. And so you see, blessing is not just the good things that happen. Blessing could also be a struggle, a hardship, a trial. Matt Johnson writes a book about Philemon uh, in the scriptures. And this is what he writes in this book. He says, Do you ever notice how God frequently shows up amidst your pitiful defeats rather than through your strengths? See, one of the reasons it's been said that we know Christianity is true is no one would have thought it up. I mean, think about it. Jesus, God in human flesh, is wrongly, wrongly accused and dies on a board, on a piece of wood. And that is our only hope of life and death. That right there. Where's the happy spiritual pick-me-up? How does the cross maximize my potential? It doesn't. I mean, the cross is therefore is to remind us of the meaning behind the cross. The meaning behind the cross is blessing. It is salvation for a lost people. Matt Johnson says this. He says, God loves to show up when the chips are down, not when we're self-confident and able-bodied. Fortunately, God knows what is best for us, Himself, and He will rest at nothing until we receive our rest and identity in Him, even if getting there means having to undergo sufferings and trials so that we hunger for Him instead of our own abilities. See, the cross reminds us that we are powerless in our own ideas of blessing and self-salvation. The cross reminds us always that God's purposes are good and they will be accomplished even in the midst of our suffering when things don't equate with blessed to us. I mean, sometimes, especially in the midst of suffering, is when we are most blessed because we grow closer to God than any other time. 
I, and knowing that may not help you in the midst of your trial, I, I get that. But you must know on the backside that God has paid for our sin. He has conquered our enemies and saved us in death, and He holds everything in His hands. And once we understand the ultimate blessing, we can begin to live lives of gratitude. And this is what all these Jewish blessings were all about. Now, Robert Roberts is a Christian psychologist. He wrote a book called Spiritual Emotion, A Psychology of Christian Virtues. Uh, I just finished it at Stafford Treat last week, and I wonder when I read it, you know, Robert Roberts, is he thankful for his name? I don't know. Like my dad, my dad's name, he went by Carl Carlberg. I mean, what are people thinking? I mean, really, really. So anyway, he writes about how Christians are uniquely wired for gratitude. That we can, because of what Jesus has done, see the good in every single circumstance. We can't manufacture gratitude by willpower because it is a byproduct of what has been done for us, how we see things. And so he says it involves three factors. And this comes from the old Latin word beni, which means good. So you got these three bennies. Number one is this, benefit. Benefit. In order for there, you know, for us to be grateful, we must acknowledge and receive this gift that is a benefit to us. We must perceive that it is a good thing. This is why we see everything that comes to us, whether good or bad, coming through the hand of God. It can be a benefit to us. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. And again, this is why throughout this message, I want you to write some gratitude down of things you're grateful for, because we are not to forget his benefits and his blessing. We must understand that our lives are filled with blessings and benefits from God. We are blind to them so much of the time, and ingratitude enables us to remember that God is good and he has given us these things. Secondly, gratitude requires that there be a benefactor, a benefactor. Okay, you know, you got the, you know, the word good, and then if you have, like, say, like, benevolence, that's to will the good. Factory, you know, the guitar word factory, which means someone who brings the good, who does the good. And so a benefactor, we must be grateful. It means that you just don't see these benefits come to you out of nowhere. It's not superstition. It's not accident. It's not random chance. All these benefits come from somebody, somebody. We must understand and believe that God, as our benefactor, always has good intentions for us. We must always believe that about him. The writers of the Bible are so convinced of this, they keep coming back to this idea that God is the benefactor. James 1, uh, 16 and 17, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And light is an expression of goodness. Everything comes from God. It is good. He is giving to us all the time. And number three, there has to be a beneficiary. A beneficiary. That is the one who receives the good. And that would be you and me. We are the beneficiaries of a God who has been gracious to us. He has our best interest at heart. If you have a life insurance policy, you put somebody on there as a beneficiary. In case you die, they get some money. We, because Jesus' death and resurrection, we become beneficiaries of God's grace. We must trust that God intends good for us. Robert says this. He says, in a Christian context, there must be gratitude. But in order to be truly grateful, we must believe we are receiving something we did not earn, merit, or deserve. I'll talk more about that next week. But this kind of goes back to part of the Jesus series when we talked about humility. In order to have gratitude, we must learn to be a humble people. Because if we believe that we are owed something, we will not be thankful for things. We will feel like we're entitled to all of these things. Like, if you decided to give Element enough money to pay off that field out there, we'd be grateful. I mean, we'd be like, wow, thanks, you're awesome, this is great. But we are not overwhelmed with gratitude at the guy who sold us the property because we paid fair market value for it. 
I mean, we just say, thank you. We don't say, oh, we're so grateful for our, our, the gift of the debt to the bank that you gave us. I mean, we, you don't do that. We bought something, we're owed it. But the default mode of American Christianity, I would say probably all humanity, is entitlement. The belief that a gift or experience is rightfully ours, that we're owed it. And this is why in our world we can keep getting more and more and more, and we feel less and less and less and less grateful. I think it's our sin nature that convinces us that anything we might want, we think we're entitled to, that we're supposed to get. And we act like if we don't get what we want, well, God's failed us. And if God hasn't failed us, well, our government's failed us, so they should then give it to us. You know, The truth is, the more we think we're entitled to, the less we will be grateful for. I'll give you some examples. In our culture, this has led to multiple lawsuits where people don't get what they want, so they sue. I'll give you some examples. In 1991, there's a guy, his name is Richard Overton. He turns on the TV, and he starts watching a Bud Light commercial. And he is convinced by the Bud Light commercial that if he drinks Bud Light, he will get hot girls to hang off him all day long. So he goes and buys a whole bunch of Bud Light. And the only thing he gets from the Bud Light is a beer belly. That's what happens, all right? It doesn't work out. I'm just going to get hot chicks. Mm, Bud Light. Hey, ladies. that, That kind of thing. So he ends up suing Bud Light for $10,000 for... Yeah, yeah, for false advertising, right? And he, and he says, because on the commercials, beautiful women and men engaged in endless and unrestricted merriment, and that didn't happen to him when he drank Bud Light. So he sues them. In 2008, there's a young lady who's standing on a train platform. A train's coming along about 100 yards back. This guy jumps in front of the train. Train hits him, kills him, knocks him to pieces. Some of them hit this lady, so she sues the dead guy for hitting her with his dead pieces. The judge threw it out of court saying there's no way he could have known that. His pieces were going to hit you. So, no. yeah. You ever seen an ugly baby? Not an element. <laughs> we only have good-looking babies here. But those other churches, they have ugly babies. So anyway. Okay. True story. True story. Chinese-American man had an ugly baby. And he's really upset about it. He goes to his wife. He demands answers from his wife. And his wife breaks down. She admits that she had plastic surgery because she wasn't that attractive. And so he feels betrayed by her. And so he sues her in America, and he wins successfully $120,000 in damages for him marrying her under false pretenses. I'll give you one more. This guy named Alan Heckard. Alan Heckard looks like Michael Jordan to a lot of people, and he's mad about it. Here's a picture. I don't think so much, but whatever. So he feels very uncomfortable when people make this say, oh, you look like Michael Jordan. So, so he hates that. Causes him emotional pain and suffering. It's really bad, he says, when he goes to the gym and he plays basketball. And they say, you play basketball like Michael Jordan. He gets really angry. So in 2006, he started a series of lawsuits. He sues Michael Jordan for $416 million. And then he goes and he sues Nike for the same amount based on the grounds that they made him a recognizable celebrity. This case has gone in and out of court and it's still pending because he keeps suing. This is why in a Christian understanding, ingratitude is more than a simple emotional or psychological issue. It becomes a sin issue. Paul says in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul is making a connection between their perceived entitlement and them not being able to live in the grace that God provides. The Scriptures also have a word for this ingratitude. It's throughout the Old Testament. It's called the word grumbling. You ever seen a Christian grumble? You look in a mirror. 
Right? You'll grumble. We all just kind of do it. We can run headlong into sin, grumbling quicker than anything else. Now, B.J. Stockman took Jeremiah Burroughs' old book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and he used it to talk about this sin of grumbling, particularly against God. In Psalm 106, 24 and 25, it says that one of the reasons that God allowed the Israelites to fall in the wilderness is they grumbled against him in their tents. So they fall because they grumble. And Burrow says grumbling is particularly bad for five reasons. I'll be brief, but I'll give you the five. Number one, he says it models Satan. It models Satan. The onset of the fall from heaven was a result of dissatisfaction in his position and desire to be like God. Don't be like Satan. Number one. Number two, it is contrary to who you are. You are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. You are dearly loved. We have no reason to grumble. Thirdly, it's a waste of time. So it's a waste of time. It accomplishes absolutely nothing except accelerate your own personal stress and annoys everybody else around you that has to hear it. That's all it does. Number four, it turns a blessing into an entitlement. Burroughs writes this, There are many things which you desire as your lives and think that you'd be happy if you had them. Yet when they come, you do not find such happiness in them. But they prove to be the greatest crosses and afflictions that you ever had because your hearts were moderately set upon them before you had them. You wanted this thing, you thought it was going to fulfill you, and it didn't, and you grumble because you felt like you were entitled to it. And number five, it worsens your suffering and afflictions. See, a grumbling attitude in the middle of affliction just increases the affliction. It doesn't make it any better. If you have a bad attitude in the midst of something actually pleasant or even mediocre, that will poison your heart and the hearts of others around you. This goes back to the why that that the Jews were so devout in trying to remember to pray prayers of thanksgiving. They had two forms of daily prayer. One was called the Shema. This is the word hear from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Him you shall love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, because He is our great God. And the other one is the one I told you about at the beginning, the Amidah, the 18, the 18 benedictions. Benny, good addictions, word, the good words. In Hebrew, benediction was any prayer that began with the word bless or blessed. To bless is to speak good to somebody else. So we speak good, we bless others, we thank God. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with blessed. That's where he starts. And if you were a Jew, you'd wake up in the morning and you'd pray the 18. Blessed are you, God. you go to bed at night. Blessed are you, God. In the middle of the day, you'd pray, Blessed are you, Lord, because you abundantly forgive. And throughout time, rabbis would expand on these 18. They'd find ways for greater and greater blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick. Because I've been sick and I got better and, and you healed me. I mean, for me, I'm catching this little cold thing. Hopefully, I will live through it. Blessed are you, Lord, for taking this sickness away from me. They would say, blessed are you, Lord, who sustains the living and raises the dead because it looks towards the future hope. And so when Jesus comes, Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, on and on and on. He is training them to understand gratitude, that we have been first been blessed by God. The Sermon on the Mount starts with an announcement of blessed. That's where it's, because that's what the Jews are supposed to be known for. So you begin to bless other people because you have first been blessed. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. So really short, and I'll give you more verses next week to flip through. But Acts chapter 3, verse 1, I'll just say something again that's kind of interesting about this. Because we're supposed to be known as the people of gratitude. Um, after the resurrection, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Well, what's the hour of prayer? What's the, what are they going there to pray at the ninth hour? The Amidah. They're going there to pray these things of blessing. That's when they would get together to do it. They do it in the temple because it's a reminder of God's blessing. 
Later in the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know what they're asking him? Teach us how to pray the Amidah. Teach us how to pray to bless God. And so the Lord's Prayer is that in summary form. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, blessed be your name. I mean, you know the early church would actually pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day? That's kind of like the, the Amidah in the early church. I had someone once ask me just a couple weeks ago why we don't recite the Lord's Prayer at Element. We don't, not because it's a bad thing or anything like that. We simply believe that Jesus is giving us a pattern for prayer. We don't want it to be stale or old, but there's nothing wrong with saying it. I mean, the expression of gratitude, of blessing, should expand for us past just 18 things. It should be part of all that we do, everything. Everything is an occasion for blessed. Every day you get out of bed. Thank you, Jesus, for another day. For another day. I may not look forward to the day's coming, but thank you for another day. Every shower, thank you, Jesus, that I have running water and I don't have to stink. Maybe you can say it about a coworker. Jesus, thank you so much for a shower because that dude would stink if he didn't have one. You know, something like that. Every, every meal, you know, thank you, Jesus, for providing. To, to Jews, they always said a blessing over food. A, a meal wasn't supposed to be eaten until you remembered where it came from. You said this blessing. Rabbis would say a man must not taste anything until he has blessed it. It's not blessing the food. It's blessing the God who gave it. And so whenever we bless the food, we bless the God who gave it. The rabbi said, if you forgot to say the blessing, you know, thank you, God, for this food, before you prayed it, we'll pray it before it comes out the other end. You know, they said, before you digest it and get rid of it, you know, say it. So if you go in and out today, doesn't agree with you, pray it quick. Like, dear Jesus, thank you. Oh, there it was. You know, whatever. You know, right there. Uh, you, would, you would bless God for lamps. So you, you'd have light to see at night. You say, thank you, Jesus, for, for lamps. And I, I can see the, this light is a gift. You would, you would thank Jesus and, and bless God if you could look at the ocean and see the ocean. Because you could live in a place like Iowa where God puts people he's mad at. You would bless God for the sunshine. You, got think of you would bless God for the rain. And I hope we get to do that soon. Because we need some. If you, if you worked and you completed a home, you would bless God for the, completing the home. If, if you own them and say something went bad, and I mean, in our culture, they'd be like, say your dishwasher went out or your, your washing machine or something like that. You, you would still thank God for that. You had this home. You have these amenities, but you had this home, and so you would thank God. You'd see the positive in those things. See, a rabbi said that one is obligated to say a benediction at all times because we are always in danger of stopping being thankful. And we must always be thankful, especially when good things come our way. And we don't just see the good things, but the good and the bad, both. And the principle is that I, we, you, they, we all bless God for every good gift. Rabbis would say, he who enjoys anything from creation which is without blessing commits misuse. And so everything we do starts with this bless. That's why we start the Sermon on the Mount the way that we do. That's why Jesus starts it the way that he does. Bless everything. I mean, this is, again, is one of the reasons we actually do communion every week. Because every week we realize what we have most to be thankful for is our salvation. Freely given to us and bought and paid for by Jesus, not us. We are beneficiaries of that grace. He is the benefactor. Matthew 26, 26 says, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks and he gave it to them. I mean, that is the idea. So at the start of the Sermon on the Mount... It is blessing, it is gratitude, is remember that everything comes from the hand of God, that we are a blessed people. And so we live lives of joy and grace and thankfulness because He has been so good to us. You know, even, you know, the, a lot of people call communion the Eucharist, right? You know what the word Eucharist comes from? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. 
It's supposed to be a place of thankfulness. When you walk up and you break that cracker, like Christ's body is broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, your mind is of his blood that was shed for you and I, because this is the ultimate place of thankfulness, that all of our lives have been redeemed because of what Jesus has done. And so we thank him, and we live in lives of gratitude. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you like to take communion. Uh, but maybe if you're in a place in your life right now and you don't have a whole lot of gratitude, you just grumble a lot. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, they would love to pray with you about those things. They'd love to talk about it. Uh, you know, maybe you have a hard situation in your life and you're trying to, you find it really hard right now to, to remain thankful. You know, not that you have to be like, oh, I'm so glad. Someone smacked me upside the head. You know, it's not like that. But, but you're thankful because God has come and God has redeemed and God can turn all things into something that's good on the backside. And maybe you need some prayer about something like that. They would love to pray with you about that. Uh, there's offer, also offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. That's why we don't pass a plate. It's a response. It's something that we do. You're not forced into doing it. It's, it's simply a response. And again, Karenet has her baby bottles outside. Grab one of those, fill it up over the next three weeks with whatever spare change you have and bring it back because they're a great organization that helps a lot of people as well. Uh, and in the back, there's some food. And again, we put the food there so you can get to know somebody else. You know, you can take some of those grateful things you talked about and maybe when you talk about those grateful things, you buy them out to lunch, talk about them over lunch or go get involved in the GC this week and talk about those at, at your GC that you're in this week. You know, all these things because our God has been so good to us that we become a grateful and thankful people, all stemming from the gift of the gospel, salvation given to us. I want to read you, again, Psalm 103, uh, I'll move that, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, because this is a great benediction. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. This is God extending himself first to us. And then we as a people turn around and we bless those around us because we have been so blessed. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be those who understand the awesomeness and the deepness of blessing. That you have come, exposed all the ways that we have run away from you, all the ways that we have broken relationship with you. And yet you tracked us down. And you loved us and redeemed us. And I ask that in us understanding gratitude and thankfulness, that we in turn would also live those same ways where we would love others around us. That we would essentially gospel them like you have gospeled us. And that even in the small things and the hard things and the easy things, all of them will be opportunities to bless. That our souls and our lives, that we would have every reason in the world to bless and none to grumble. Because we remember how gracious our God was to us to save us. So as we start the Sermon on the Mount today, Father, Teach us to be a grateful, thankful people and that we would bless those around us as you have first blessed us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.